Welcome to the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. Are you ready to shoot the shit? And we're back with another week of Shit Talk. I'm Liz Broder. I hope everyone's been enjoying their holidays. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, whatever holidays you've been celebrating. I hope they've been going well. We are at the end of the year, which is kind of scary. Um, And today's topic is relevant at all times of the year and especially in the holiday season. But sugar, 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 sugar. Everybody loves sugar. We all know it's terrible for us. We still eat it. It's one of those. But I'm going to break down how sugar really does hijack your brain, call the shots, screws with your gut, and is one of the most widely known contributors to systemic inflammation. So there's a lot of reasons why we should not be eating sugar. And obviously here on Shit Talk, I want to focus on the gut, how it impacts our poops, and everything that goes with that. So Just to start off with some statistics to put things into perspective, the average intake of added sugars by adults in 2018 was 17 teaspoons. This is adults age 20 and older. And this was broken down to an average of 19 teaspoons per day for men and 15 teaspoons per day for women. Now, the American Heart Association recommends no more than six teaspoons or 25 grams of added sugar per day for women. Compare that to 15, so more that we are having more than double the recommendation in 2018. For men, the American Heart Association recommends nine teaspoons or 38 grams. Compare that to the average of 19 that men were having in 2018. So both men and women were more than double the recommendation. It's not hard to see why when you look at our labels, but we'll get into that. Further into this, the World Health Organization recommends no more than 10% of an adult's total caloric intake for the day, ideally 5%, but no more than 10%, they say, should come from added sugars or from natural sugars found in honey, syrups, and fruit juices. So for reference, on a 2,000-calorie diet, 5,000—excuse me, 5% of those calories would be 25 grams of sugar, which is in line with the recommendation for women. Um, So you can see how that math breaks down. And unfortunately, you can see how we are well over the recommendations by the Heart Association and the World Health Organization. But like I said, easy to surpass these numbers. Sugar is everywhere. Sweetened and flavored yogurts, juices, dressings, sauces, like things like pizza sauce, pasta sauce, oftentimes go overlooked, even bread, buns. I find, obviously, as we know, beverages are usually are oftentimes high in sugar. But one of the culprits is these sweetened milks. You have to specify, you go to Starbucks, you have to specify unsweetened almond milk, unsweetened oat milk. Or if you get like an iced green tea, you need to specify unsweet. They add simple syrup to everything. So it's not that the odds are stacked against us because that's just a negative outlook. It's that there's just sugar in everything and we need to be more on top of it. And because of its addictive nature, it's so hard to recognize I really shouldn't be eating this or I need to take some control over this because it's not that simple. There is a brain component to sugar. Beverages are actually the leading category source for added sugars. 47% of all added sugars are coming from beverages, 25% of those being soft drinks. 11% fruit juices, 7% coffee and tea, and 3% from sport and energy drinks. And this may or may not be surprising, but our second highest contributor is snacks and sweets at 31% of all added sugars. So 
If you're not a label reader, I do encourage you to start. It takes practice. I get that it sounds annoying and tedious. I have to say, though, it's imperative to know what's in your food and what how you're fueling your body. That said, sugar has several names, more names than anyone I know, actually. <laughs> um, and I'm going to list out a few, but there are much more than this. I encourage you, if you're not a label reader, pick three or four of these memorize them and focus on them now when you read labels and just get familiar with them. Recognize how frequently you see them, how often they come up on the labels in ingredients lists. And again, it, it may be tedious at first, but it really will become second nature. Consistency is key and it's something that's really going to impact your overall caloric intake and how you feel. So sugar you'll see on labels as agave, dextrose, brown sugar, sugarcane, maltose, malt syrup, brown rice syrup, cane juice, evaporated cane juice, fructose, sucrose, honey, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, coconut sugar, fruit juice concentrate, molasses, and more. It's like the never fucking ending story. Thank you very much. It's, it's absurd. But anyway, on to sugar and how it hijacks the brain. So using brain scanning technology, scientists at the U.S. National Institute on Drug Abuse were actually among the first to show that sugar causes changes in our brain that is similar to those in people who are addicted to drugs like cocaine and alcohol. These changes are linked to a heightened craving for more sugar. And this is important to mention because I want to make it really clear that the addictiveness of sugar is studied the way we study alcohol and drug addiction. It's a real thing. It's not to be taken lightly. And because sugar is legal and it's fed to us at all ages, it doesn't have any sort of age limit on it, we don't necessarily categorize it or think of it in the same severity as we do with cocaine, morphine, opioids, alcohol. So I get that. And I'm here to say shift your mindset because it's studied by scientists and in labs. It's studied the way we study drugs and alcohol because it is a drug. So again, tough to make that differentiation because it's so easy to access and it is everywhere. And that's why it's so important to start paying attention. So how does sugar screw with our brains? Sweet foods actually activate the brain's reward system called the mesolimbic dopamine system. You may remember this from a few weeks ago. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that's associated with the pleasure and reward center of the brain. Also motivation, as some of you may know, making those weekly goals, setting those weekly goals for the dopamine doses. But anyway, so it's associated, dopamine is associated with the pleasure and reward center of the brain. It's released by neurons and it can signal that an event was positive. In this case, the event is enjoying sugar. And this is the triggering event to release dopamine. So when the reward system activates, it reinforces positive behaviors, making it more likely for us to actually carry out these actions again in order to experience the positive event. So dopamine hits, we're calling them hits, dopamine hits from eating sugar, promote this reinforcement to seek out more of these foods later on. And the brain continuously remodels and rewires itself through an incredible process called neuroplasticity. And please keep in mind, this rewiring can happen in the reward system. Repeated activation of the reward pathway by drugs or alcohol, or for example, eating a lot of sugar, this causes the brain to adapt to this frequent stimulation, which leads to a somewhat of a tolerance, if you will. And in the case of sweet foods and sugar, this means that because we build up this tolerance in the brain, we need more and more and more sugar to get the same rewarding feeling. And that's a classic feature of addiction. 
that's something that is used to categorize the way people respond with alcohol, the way people respond with drugs. And here it is with sugar. So again, the same way we need to drink more alcohol or blow more lines of Coke to get that same buzz, we're going to need more and more of a substance, in this case sugar, for our brains to adapt, as our brain, excuse me, as our brains adapt and get used to it, we're going to need more and more to actually achieve that same pleasure or the same high, hence the addictive nature here. So I hope that helps put into perspective how addictive sugar is and how it actually does rewire the brain, which then directly impacts our behavior. Sugar is a drug, period. And I want you to keep that in mind because people can be really hard on themselves. It's not about, oh, I'm out of control. I'm a slob. I lack willpower. It's There's so much more to it than that. And that's why reading labels is something you can do that is within your power. The way your brain works, there are things beyond your control. So let's control what we can. Now, for those of you who don't know, there's several hundred billion studies, not a hundred billion, but lots of studies that have shown an excessive intake of dietary sugars can cause various metabolic disorders and lead to an increase of inflammatory mediators and pro-inflammatory cytokines in various tissues in our body. So long story short, there's a lot of research out there and a lot of studies, and they all support that high sugar intake leads to inflammation and leads to an increase in these pro-inflammatory cytokines. These things then lead to insulin resistance and low-grade chronic inflammation. Obesity actually increases our risk for these conditions as well because adipose tissue, which is fat, creates inflammation. So the more excess fat, the more inflammation you have. And then inflammation is seen as a trigger for a million other things that we'll get into. And low chronic-grade inflammation could be caused by things secreted by this adipose tissue, by inflammation from liver tissue, and by an increase to damage in our gut lining. And this all contributes to development of cardiometabolic diseases. So it's one big unhappy family here, and they're all related, unfortunately. The fortunate part is that we can control what we can, which is diet, and work to improve that to improve our overall health. Now, let's get into some shit talk. The gut microbiome has been focused on by researchers not as many years as we'd like. It's newer, but for a decent amount of time at this point, it's been focused on my research to find the link between dietary sugars and inflammation. So far, we've found that a high sugar diet reduces microbial diversity and leads to a depletion of short-chain fatty acids in our gut. Short-chain fatty acids directly impact our gut lining and epithelial integrity, which is like the health of our gut lining, and the lining's ability to utilize our colonic regulatory T cells and antibacterial cells. So this affects the intestinal mucosal immune system, I know it's a mouthful, or our gut's immune system, our gut's immune power, basically. Um, And as we know, our diet plays an imperative role in the makeup of our microbiome since the food we choose to eat is the food our gut is eating. Diet has actually demonstrated capabilities of restructuring the microbiome within days, which is scary to think about, but I have to say it's also encouraging. There's a positive and negative here. It's encouraging to think that if I reduce sugar for several days or cut it out, that's going to have a positive impact on my microbiome. And of course, this goes the other way. If I have four or five days of a high sugar intake, not as good eating, that's also going to impact the microbiome. 
of the macronutrients, proteins, fats, and carbs, of those, carbohydrates and nitrogen sources have been demonstrated to be the most influential on our uh, microbiome. And simple sugars can override a host's genetic effects on the microbiome, host meaning us. So simple sugars that we're talking about here basically control the genetic effects on the microbiome. Of the macronutrients, which are proteins, fats, and carbs, carbohydrates and nitrogen sources have been demonstrated to be the most influential on the microbiome. And simple sugars can actually override a host's genetic effects on the microbiome, host being us, our microbiomes. So microbial exposure to sugars and sweeteners varies along our intestinal tracts as a result of how readily each sugar is actually absorbed by the host, meaning us. And in other words, this means everyone's body, the host, everyone's body reacts to sugar a little bit differently based on the current condition of their intestinal tract. So whether they have compromised epithelial integrity, whether they have top-notch gut lining and top-notch microbiome, whether they are predisposed or have prerequisites, prerequisites for other gut issues, that impacts how our body is able to metabolize sugar efficiently or not efficiently and how quickly or how brutally the sugar can impact our microbiome. If that, I hope that makes sense. Now, I just want to touch on a couple areas of research. So this is more recent from 2020 in the academic journal called Nutrients. This was a study It investigated the effects of a high glucose or high fructose diet, just so you know, glucose and fructose are two forms of sugar, two two monosaccharides. So this investigated the effects of a high glucose or high fructose diet on the gut microbiota and intestinal permeability, as well as on blood endotoxin level, inflammation, and fat accumulation in mice. The high dietary sugar diet was found to stimulate the following changes in the microbiota composition. We saw from the research a decrease in bacterial diversity and a decrease in the abundance of bacterioidetes We saw an increase in the abundance of proteobacteria. And while these microbial shifts were taking place, we also saw that the gut epithelium, which is the gut lining, showed inflammatory changes. These microbial changes actually share common features with gut dysbiosis, which is imbalances in the gut that are associated with metabolic disorders and specifically inflammatory bowel disease. God damn it. How does this happen? We know that excessive amounts of simple sugar that are not absorbed in the small intestine can favor organisms like proteobacteria, which can then rapidly utilize simple sugars, and and this continues to allow proteobacteria to thrive. We do not want these microbes thriving. But as we mentioned, I mentioned a few weeks ago talking about the keto gut and ratios of gut bacteria, we see higher amounts of proteobacteria in the obese phenotype. And it's interesting to note that they thrive on simple sugars. So please know that proteobacteria do form a minor part of a healthy gut microbiota. But if they're increased disproportionately, inflammation may follow, as well as bacterial imbalances. Because like I said, there is there are preferred ratios with some of these highly studied strains of bacteria. And just to provide you with an example of how higher amounts of proteobacteria not necessarily a good thing for the gut. There is a class gamma proteobacteria that carry lipopolysaccharide molecules, which are strong triggers of the inflammatory response. So you can see how proteobacteria alone can lead to more of an inflammatory response in the body. Now, I get that that's a simple example. I just wanted to provide so you can understand why more of certain bacteria can lead to inflammation. Class gamma proteobacteria is one And of course, there are 
billions of bacteria, trillions, excuse me, there are trillions in the gut, and some proteobacteria are needed for a healthy gut. However, when they get out of whack, it can lead to this inflammatory response. And then, of course, we're dealing with inflammation in the gut. This compromises epithelial integrity, and there's a whole slew of things that come along with that. Bacterioidetes and firmicutes are two of the most abundant bacterial groups in healthy gut microbiota. Again, mention this with the keto gut. These names may sound familiar to you. Bacterioidetes are actually associated with numerous health benefits, including the downregulation or decrease of the inflammatory response in the gut. So once again, not to beat a dead horse, but you can see how when these ratios get out of whack and you're, you end up with a higher amount of the proteobacteria that cause inflammation and less of these bacterioidetes that can actually help downregulation of the inflammatory response. It throws things out of whack. It leads to inflammation. And why are these bacteria getting thrown out of whack? Several reasons, but one of the main ones is sugar. Sugar is feeding what we don't want it to feed. It's feeding proteobacteria, has learned how to utilize it pretty efficiently, and it thrives off of it. And then you have a gut dysbiosis or imbalance causes this inflammation, and it's like a vicious cycle, unfortunately. That's really the point here. And a high sugar intake seems to interfere with the balance of our gut's microbiota by modifying this ratio. And it's just really important to keep in mind that this interference has shown to lead to an increase in pro-inflammatory properties and a decrease in immune regulation and the body's weakened ability to regulate and maintain a healthy gut lining. I don't know how many people buy into this. I personally do from my own personal experiences. But if you don't have a happy gut, you're not going to be happy. If your gut is out of whack, you're going to feel it in so many ways. So that's the only reason I'm trying to drive this point home, that when your body has a weakened ability to maintain a healthy gut lining, that's, that is a ma major thing stacked against you. And it's really important to maintain this balance in the gut and maintain a healthy microbiome. because again, mentioned a few weeks ago, it directly talks to your brain. When your gut's out of whack, your brain is out of whack. And you can believe that or not, I can tell you firsthand, I can feel the difference. So pay attention next time you've had a few days of high sugar versus a few days of lower sugar. Check on your mood, your energy, how are you feeling, irritability, sadness, anything that maybe you're more prone to. Tune in because it's actually really interesting to see how you feel. Now, one last study I want to mention, and this is new. This was really exciting. Um, this came out earlier this fall, and it's from a journal called Cell. It was published in 2022, and it showed that mice were fed a high-fat and high-sugar diet, and the dietary sugar altered the gut microbiome, which directly impacted immune cells. Specifically, the sugar eliminated the filamentous bacteria in their guts. And because of this, the protective TH17 cells disappeared. Now, what the fuck is a TH17 immune cells? cell? I'll tell you. <laughs> you don't know what the TH17 immune cells are? So anyway, this reduction in filamentous bacteria was critical to the, mice, the health of the mice due to its effect and impact on the TH17 immune cells. The drop in the filamentous bacteria reduced the number of TH17 cells in the gut. And TH17 cells are what are necessary to prevent things like metabolic diseases, diabetes, and weight gain. These TH17 cells produce molecules that help slow absorption of pathogenic lipids, and they also decrease inflammation in the intestines. So if you're having if higher amounts of sugar reduce this number of TH17 cells in our gut, 
you can see how we're at a higher risk for absorbing these pathogens and for intestinal inflammation when we're having higher amounts of sugar. That's one small example. I'm sure there are several others that, you know, have already been discovered that I'm not referencing, and I'm sure there are more in the future to be discovered that get wiped out with sugar because it really does seem to throw off a balance and feed things we don't want it feeding. And in this case, it doesn't feed something necessarily. It's a reduction in the filamentous bacteria, which then leads to a wipeout of these Th17 immune cells. And that totally fucks us. So definitely don't want that. Now, getting on to other aspects of shit talk, diarrhea, gas, bloating. You may already know this from personal experience, but too much sugar can stimulate the gut or the intestines to pull in water and electrolytes to actually try and dilute the solute, in this case, the solute is sugar, because it's if it's so highly concentrated, concentrated. And this pulling in of the water and electrolytes can lead to loose stools or diarrhea, also bloating. And one of the biggest offenders of this has been shown to be fructose. Fructose is fruit sugar. It's found naturally in fruits. It's highest in peaches, pears, cherries, apples. And it's also added to certain foods and drinks like soda, fruit juices, honey. Honey has nine grams of fructose per tablespoon. Coca-Cola has 30 grams of fructose per 16-ounce bottle. And fruit juice has around 40 grams of fructose per 16-ounce glass. So... Yeah, those are pretty big numbers. And it's not that fructose is bad. It's that it's found naturally in foods and it's also added to other foods to sweeten. And the science shows that many people who ingest more than around 40 to 80 grams of fructose per day will get diarrhea because it gets to that point where the intestines need to then draw in the water and electrolytes to dilute this solute. And again, this is one of those things. It's different for everyone. Someone could feel this at 40 grams. Someone could feel this at 25 grams. Someone could feel this at 300 grams of fructose. We're all a little bit different and it's it's contingent upon several factors. You know, everyone's gut reacts differently. But it's important to note here, fructose is added into things. You're getting fructose already if you have sugar. And then this can cause the body to need to dilute this high concentration of sugar and it's going to give you diarrhea. It's going to lead to gas. It's going to lead to bloating, which is not comfortable. Who the fuck wants that? So also important to, to know, piggybacking off of this, if you consume more fructose, then your body can actually digest. Excess sugar that cannot be broken down and absorbed by the body is left to sit in the bowels. And what do you think happens to it here? It ferments. The sugar moves much more slowly through the large intestine which allows it to feed bad bacteria like the proteobacteria I mentioned earlier. It also feeds viruses and it also feeds yeasts. Because it's moving more slowly and being fermented, this causes a buildup of gas. Hello, bloat. Hello, gas. Hello, farts. No, thank you. In addition to feeding bad bacteria, like I mentioned, sugar also feeds things like yeast. So I'm mentioning that for people who are prone to things like yeast infections or candida overgrowths in the gut. I'm talking to you. Sugar absolutely feeds things like candida, things like viruses in the body. If you're noticing you're getting sick more often or you're taking longer to overcome a cold or flu than usual, check in on your sugar intake. It could absolutely be something like that. And as we know, as I said previously about the Th17 cells, sugar already leads to compromising our immunity, our immune systems. And then on top of that, it's feeding poor bacteria and allowing different colds, flus, viruses, bacteria to thrive, viruses, yeast to thrive, it's no wonder we're getting sick and taking longer to overcome it. So again, there's various factors. I'm only talking about sugar right now, 
But sugar is a real thing here. Sugar really does feed this. I have had clients and patients who are prone to yeast infections. And once we reduce sugar, and it's hard. I'm not sitting here acting like, oh, yeah, just cut out sugar. It's no big deal. There's a lot of reasons. Like we've already talked about why it's difficult. But I can tell you, they significantly reduced sugar and eventually got it down to like under 10 grams a day. And the yeast infections dramatically decreased. And that's directly from the sugar. So something to keep in mind if you are someone prone to yeast infections or um, issues with candida in other areas of your body, because that can thrive anywhere. Now, it's unrealistic to think that you can avoid sugar 100% of the time. So just as a dietitian, here is what I recommend. Honey and maple syrup are more natural sweeteners that we have. They definitely still have sugar. However, they do have some vitamins and minerals. Honey is antifungal, antiviral. I'm not saying go crazy with them. I'm saying if you need to sweeten or you're baking or you want to add something to your tea, these are, in my opinion, two of the better sugar options. One thing really important to note, what I think is never a good idea is are artificial sweeteners. They lead to gas, bloating. They've been shown time and time again to be carcinogens. They absolutely lead to diarrhea. They're in every diet soda. They're so bad for the microbiome and the gut bacteria and just the gut lining. They literally, this is going to sound dramatic, but they destroy your gut lining. I have so many people who have reduced diet soda and then eventually just eliminated it altogether. And the first thing they notice is their gut feels so much better Their stu- in their stomach. It's like, it's almost like they had stomach aches before and just got used to it and didn't recognize it. And then once they cut out diet soda, they're like, oh my God, I feel so much better. They didn't even know they didn't feel well. They didn't even know their stomach was hurting. It's it, it just cutting it out or reducing it is going to allow your body time to repair this damage from the artificial sweeteners. And artificial sweeteners, I'm talking about things like Splenda, Equal, Sweet and Low. Like, straight up poison. On the other end of the spectrum, there are some non-caloric natural sweeteners that studies have shown to be safe and fine. I'm talking about stevia and monk fruit. I will warn you, stevia can taste sort of chemically. They have it in liquid form and powder form. Try them both out, see what you prefer. It's also important to note that stevia and monk fruit are significantly sweeter than sugar. So if you're used to using one sugar packet, you may not need one stevia packet, if that makes sense. It's it's a little bit is going to go a longer way because they are sweeter. And again, these are not things to go crazy with. Oh, there's no calories all of a sudden load up. It's important to still manage and be aware of your intake when it comes to things like stevia and monk fruit. However, if you're looking for a non-caloric natural sweetener that is not a carcinogen and that is not going to lead to gas and bloating and destroying your gut lining, stevia and monk fruit. That's what I recommend. Also important to keep in mind, I should have mentioned this earlier, your taste buds actually recalibrate around every two weeks. So as we mentioned before, the more sugar you have, the more sugar your body needs to get that same high, if you will, to get the same pleasure. So while you crave more sugar, the more you eat, the less you eat it, the less you crave it because your taste buds recalibrate. So keep that in mind. It's again, this is something I mentioned earlier in a different capacity, but it's like there's a positive and a negative that the taste buds recalibrate every two weeks. If you're having a horrible two weeks of eating, your taste buds are probably going to start craving more and more sugar to actually taste the same sweetness you're looking to achieve. But same goes the other way. If you have a really bad two weeks and then you're like, I need to cut this out, I need to eliminate it, you're going to allow the taste buds time to recalibrate. So it's going to require less sugar to actually get that sweetness you're looking for and less is going to go further. 
The other thing I wanted to notice, uh, notice the other thing I wanted to note, this is sort of random, but something that I have found does help take down inflammation in the body. And this can be in regards to any inflammation, not just sugar. It just sugar is so highly linked to inflammation. I felt the need to, to note it. But curcumin or curcumin, excuse me, which is an active ingredient in turmeric, that orange spice, they make supplements for this. If you're someone who you feel you have a lot of inflammation for whatever reason, or you're someone you feel you've been abusing sugar and you want to start taking it down and you're looking to counteract some of the negativity, try a curcumin or turmeric supplement. That should absolutely help your body in taking down the inflammation. Now, again, to each his own, if you want to consult a physician about this or you have some sort of natural doctor you go to, absolutely, I would I would encourage you to bring this up. There are very minimal side effects, if any, from turmeric and curcumin. Curcumin, I don't know why I keep calling it curcumin. I'm so sorry, curcumin. So if you're someone who is looking to work on that inflammation, look into that. The other thing I just want to briefly mention before I sign off is about when you decrease sugar, it's important to keep in mind when we decrease one thing, that means you're going to be increasing something else, right? Because you can't just decrease sugar and then say that's 500 calories a day that you're getting are from sugar. So I'm assuming you're going to need to make up for those 500 calories elsewhere. I encourage increasing healthy fats and protein. These are satiating nutrients and they reduce cravings. They also help support stable blood sugar and they're going to help support you staying on the path when you're in the process of decreasing sugar. Another category of foods to know are bitter foods, basically the opposite of sugar and sweetness. They actually help shut down receptors in the brain that will crave sugar. So I'm talking about things like kale, radicchio, arugula, Brussels sprouts, dandelion greens is a big one. I'm huge into arugula. It's They're definitely bitter, so it's not everyone's cup of tea. But even like a small side salad, it doesn't have to be your main course, but a side salad, and I always encourage it to be arugula, simply for this point, because it really does help shut down those receptors in the brain. See if you add a side salad with arugula to lunch and dinner. Some people, I know they have that like after dinner or after meal sweet tooth. They feel the need for a little something sweet. Add in this arugula side salad. Let's see if you're feeling the need for that after dinner sweet tooth, after dinner sweet, after lunch sweet, because it really does help. This is, we're talking about brain activity here. This is something that has been proven with the receptors. So I think that's really interesting. And I always like making that recommendation because not a lot of people know that. Another thing to recommend when you're decreasing sugar is collagen. Collagen protein is all the rage these days. It's everywhere. There's a million different types of collagen protein powders on the market. It's actually really good for your gut health and gut healing. And this, you'll see, is on a lot of the packaging. So what I recommend is if you are cutting down sugar, like I said, you're increasing protein, healthy fats. Collagen protein is a great option. Do it in a smoothie. Do it in overnight oats. Mix it into your chia seed pudding. It's not only going to help with the satiety, but the collagen itself for gut repair, especially if you're someone who's had that Diet Coke habit and you've been abusing diet sodas with all those artificial sweeteners, your gut, your poor gut, Oh my God, do something good for it, please. Get some collagen in there. Lastly, what I want to note is cinnamon. I love cinnamon. Again, easy to add into overnight oats or top on your chia seed pudding. It's a little bit sweet. Studies show time and time again, it has helped reduce the rise of blood sugar. And it's typically studied in people with type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. But that's okay. I mean, that doesn't mean it, it won't help you if you don't have those conditions. It can't hurt. 
as far as I'm concerned. It's also interesting to know it's been studied as whole cinnamon or a cinnamon extract. Results have been shown to be statistically significant in lowering your fasting blood glucose. So add in that cinnamon, especially if you're doing like an unsweetened yogurt. Maybe you'll do some berries and add in some cinnamon. It's a delicious flavor. So try that. See how it goes. Now, long story short, I don't want to say we're all fucked, but I do want to say eating healthy these days really does take intention and attention. It's up to you to pay attention to what you're putting into your body and how it makes you feel. And it requires a decent amount of intention, reading those labels, planning ahead, knowing where you're having your sugar from, you know, how big is your portion? How much am I actually having? It's something you really need to pay attention to. And once again, tune into those energy levels, your mood swings, bloat, your bowel habits, your cravings. This can tell us a lot. How's your poop and regularity? Are you constipated? Are you having more frequent diarrhea? Are you experiencing more cravings? Are you bloated and gassy? These are all things that can be indicative of an out-of-control sugar intake. Another thing to keep in mind, sugar intake could be a problem behind a lot of other problems, if that makes sense. Because as we discussed earlier, it leads to inflammation and inflammation is shown in tandem with pretty much every disease state out there. So it's not that sugar necessarily gave you this disease or that disease or caused it. What I can say is sugar is absolutely causing inflammation and supporting inflammation and chronic inflammation that's there for a long time. And and it's that inflammation that then leads to some of these disease states. So not to scare you, I'm just keeping it real, straight shooting, shit talk. And remember that sugar does, I don't want to say sugar kills, but it can, it really can. So cut sugar as you can gradually, not necessarily drastically. Remember our taste buds recalibrate around every two weeks and our gut microbiome restructures based on what we're feeding it. So remember you have the power over what you put into your mouth Sugar does impact our brain. That is real. So don't beat yourself up. We have power over what we put into our mouth, but please go easy on yourself. If you are someone with a high sugar intake and you start to gradually reduce, you may still have those cravings and that's not you being weak. That's the brain and also withdrawal. There are real withdrawal symptoms that people see when they're cutting out sugar. So remember, sugar's impact on your brain is real. It's addictive and that's absolutely above our power. So just control what you can. Try to avoid sugar if you have it. Have it ideally after a protein, fiber, and healthy fat because those actually take longer to digest and will help slow the rise of your blood sugar once you actually have the sugar. Another great tip I love is go for a walk after you have a high sugar meal or a high carb meal. This allows your muscles to actually utilize the fresh glucose that's sitting around in your bloodstream. So it's one, going to help decrease the amount of insulin your body needs. And two, it's going to help actually burn up some of that glucose. So it's going to help decrease that spike in blood sugar levels because it's going to allow your body to actually use up some of that sugar swimming around in your bloodstream. <sighs> so that's all I have for you today on sugar. Any questions, please. DM me. And don't forget to please rate, review, and subscribe to Shit Talk. Um, if you have anything really specific, please feel free to DM me directly. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic in mind you're just itching for me to talk about, reach out. I'd love to hear it. And yeah, rate, review, subscribe, and I'll see you next week on Shit Talk. Bye.